0: Welcome to the Round Rock Church of Christ teaching podcast. We are a faith community located in the Central Austin area that, for the next two Sundays, is gathering for one service at 10 a.m. on December 24th and December 31st. We hope this teaching blesses you as we become Jesus followers who are spirit filled and spirit led. For those who do not have a home,
1: prepared, and I it again. So, uh, my bad. Good morning. We'll be reading from Isaiah seven, verses twenty. A shoot shall come out from the stump, and a branch shall grow out of it. Spirit of the Lord shall rest on him, spirit of wisdom and understanding, spirit of counsel and might, spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge for the poor, and decide with equity for the oppressed of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips kill the rich. Righteousness shall be the belt around his waist, and faithfulness the belt around his neck. Church, this is the word of the Lord. We say amen. Come, Holy Spirit, come. come and do what only you can do. Come, Holy Spirit, come, come and do what only you can suffer today. Come and we pray.
0: Uh, We want to be prepared for you. Can you help set our hearts this morning? Can you feed us through your word? And then Holy Spirit, can you lead us this morning?
1: So come Lord Jesus. Come Lord Jesus.
0: Last week we kicked off a short series during the Christmas season that we are calling it Between Two Trees because this is the time of the year where Christians around the world reflect on the hope of God that was given to us in Jesus Christ. And to reflect on this hope briefly, we're reflecting on three images that are given to us in the book of Isaiah. And if you were to flip through the book of Isaiah, you may wonder if Isaiah was maybe an arborist or maybe a garden ridge employee, because he is always using this foliage, this tree, this plant imagery to describe the hope of God. And this morning in Isaiah 11, if you have a Bible with you this morning, you may want to go ahead and turn to Isaiah 11. It will be near the middle of your Bible. In Isaiah 11, we are given a description of another tree that describes the hope of God. And in this description, as I was reflecting on it this morning, I couldn't help but think of another tree that's kind of known throughout our history that describes a little bit of the condition that Isaiah describes uh, the people of God in this time. You may be familiar with this tree if you know very much of history. There was a tree that was planted right outside the White House called the Jackson Magnolia. This tree was one of the oldest and grandest trees found on the property of the White House. Planted in 1828, it provided shade for over 38 presidents. People could walk the grounds and be able to touch the tree that had been there a long time for history until 2017. Because in 2017, the administration announced that this historical tree needed to come down because of its age and unpredictability. And I don't know if you've noticed, but anything that stands for a long time for people, they get emotional when you move it. As did people did in 2017 when this was announced. People did not want the tree to be removed. The tree was a part of the history. People loved the high limbs that it had. They loved the polished leaves that it had. They loved the captivating petals That would bloom out of it. Externally this tree looked beautiful. But those who know trees well. Would tell you that internally. This tree was not doing well. If you were to look closer. At this tree that has stood for so many years. You would actually see that this tree. Its limbs were actually held up. By cables. And by Pulleys, its original strength and beauty had deteriorated. It was a facade. One local arborist actually said that 75% of the tree's structural integrity was gone. It was waiting to fall on someone. And even still, people did not want the tree removed. But there was no amount of propping, tying, or covering up that was going to keep that tree alive. In the 11th chapter of Isaiah, God's people are described as people who their integrity has deteriorated. There is no propping, tying, or covering up for God's people. The long line of structural integrity is going. In Isaiah 11 verse 1, The language is so strong that Isaiah goes, let me give you some tree imagery of where we're at here. A shoot shall come out of what I call the stump of Jesse. It's not even a standing tree anymore. It is a stump cut down, cut off from the giving life source of God. Now, the imagery of God's people as a tree has not always looked like this. We covered last week, when you flip through the entire Bible, we like to think of the Bible as a collection of stories about God, which it is. And it is also a collective story of God. How the Bible is told from the front page to the back page is one cohesive story. And in the very beginning of God's stories, we covered last week in Genesis, that there is actually a tree that is planted in the Garden of Eden. And the Lord said to humanity, you may freely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for in the day that you eat it, you shall die. In other words, when God designs humanity, he places a tree as a symbol of an opportunity of trust. It's God saying, Trust me that I know what's best for you. And humanity still eats of the tree. And everything in between, the stories of Scripture, is how from that tree the world starts to fracture. And then at the very end of the Bible, in Revelation 22, you find this imagery happening again. There is a uh, a vision that comes and it's described like this. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Here it is right here. On either side of the river is the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruits producing its fruit each month and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nation. In other words, at the beginning of the Bible, union with God is broken. At the end of the Bible, union with God is restored. Heaven and earth are together. You and I live between those two trees. The people of Isaiah live in between those two trees. We live between the lingering shadow of the first tree and the longing for shade that comes From the second tree. And if you were to look at the story arc. Of everything that happens in between those two trees. You would find that God's people were on great momentum. Because after they ate from the tree. Which is sometimes referred to as the fall. God comes in Genesis 12 and gives a promise. And he says, you Israel, the people. I'm going to use you as the people who branch between this first tree and this last tree. And even though the people hear this promise, generationally they move into slavery, which is where you get the Exodus story. And this God says, I'm going to deliver on the promise. I'm going to deliver you from this place. And even though God does deliver the people through this promise, they find themselves still winding up mimicking other nations to where they want a king. And at one point they get a king. They get several kings kings that look promising and the book of isaiah picks up in exile of saying that those kings did not work out because for the people of god they could not grow into what god wanted them without greed and forgetfulness and lack of faithfulness in calling the people of god the stump of jesse Isaiah is saying what was grand and great is no longer so great. As a matter of fact, it's worth noting, like even in the description of Isaiah saying the stump of Jesse, there's almost an embarrassment, a hiddenness in even describing this. Because people would not recognize Jesse as much as they would recognize King David. Jesse would have actually been the father of David. And down David's line, you'd have David, who was this great king. We sometimes use in sports language, we say, uh, this player put the team on his back. David was the guy who Israel said, he's going to put the team on his back. And even though his life starts great, it doesn't end so great. And God says, I'm going to extend the promise to your son, Solomon. And we see through the life of Solomon moving into his son, Rehoboam, things just downward spiral for the people of God. Now they find themselves in a place of embarrassment, where they may even not want to recognize the lineage of King David, but go back to their humble roots of Jesse. What was going so great for the family of God was no longer going so great. The people who were supposed to be the example now find themselves embarrassed at what they've become. What looked promising no longer had anything to show for it in this family line. And this is where I believe a word of hope exists and waits for us in the time of the year where when it comes to family and emotions around family, a word from Isaiah exists for us. Many of us, we know the feeling of what it's like to maybe look at a part of our family or the trajectory of our family and see maybe what we would call a dead stump. Maybe you came from a family that did great things and so far with your life, you feel like you haven't done very many great things to continue that line. Maybe for some of us, we come this morning and no one knows it yet, but our marriage that was great at one point or our kids that we felt like were great at one point are not so great anymore. Maybe for some of us, we come this morning with actual aches that we said yes to God's family but then people in God's family have frustrated us or disappointed us the good news of Isaiah for anyone in the room who feels that this morning the good news of Christmas is that the tree is not dead what seems dead right now will be delivered this is the hope isaiah speaks of and if that family tree is not dead if god is doing something underneath it god can be doing something underneath the things that we feel are dead because in isaiah eleven two, 2 he goes further to paint a vision of what god is doing in the midst of things looking dead he says there is this twig this branch this not people but a person who will come and the spirit of God will rest on him verse 2 the spirit of the Lord shall rest on him the spirit of wisdom and understanding and the spirit of counsel and might and the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord what we need this morning For those of us who feel a lack of hope is we need the sight of Isaiah, a sight who can see not only what is fallen, but also can see what is to follow of what God is doing. Because Isaiah doesn't see it in his lifetime. But as followers of Jesus read these verses backwards, they can't help but see eight centuries later. How one devout follower of God's people. Paul would actually say in Romans 15, verse 12, he would say, The root of Jesse shall come, the one who rises to rule the Gentiles. In him the Gentiles shall have hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing so that you may abound in hope by the power of His Holy Spirit. Paul would say six centuries later, there would be Jesus Christ of Nazareth who would come, who was unimpressive, who looked weak like a twig, and he's the one who would bring hope to all people. Christians would look back and they would look at this description and they would say, it's him! That the Spirit rested on him. That Luke actually says that when Jesus... Entered the waters of baptism that the spirit fell on him like a dove. In 1 Corinthians, Paul would say that Jesus didn't just have the wisdom of God like possessed it. He became the wisdom of God, meaning that you don't have to guess what God is like. You can see him in Jesus Christ. In Hebrews 4, the writer of Hebrews would literally say, He is like a high priest to you, someone who is mighty, but he can counsel you. He doesn't speak to you as someone who hasn't dealt with what you deal with in life. He speaks kindly to you. And also, he came with fear, or maybe a better word for that is reverence for the Lord. Before the cross, Jesus literally said, I want you to take this cup from me, Lord. I don't want to go through this suffering but your will be done, not my will. The good news of Jesus for us is that hope is on the way. The good news of Jesus means he deliver us from what seems dead, what seems dead in our lives, and maybe what even seems dead in our families. And the way Jesus does this is he is mercifully Born into a messy family tree. He comes forth through a dead looking stump of Jesse. God could have shown up however God chose to. In a lot of Greek mythology, a lot of the gods show up in the stories like that. They just show up. God in Jesus Christ doesn't just show up, He actually enters into a family tree. One that's made of real bodies and flaws and stories. Good ones and not so good ones. Jesus, as he existed on the earth, would be reminded of the messiness in which he inherits. Maybe a way to think of it. Um, I, uh, every time I go to a barbershop, correction, I go to a place to get my hair cut. I'm not cool enough to go to a barbershop. But every time I go to get a haircut, when someone is working on my hair, it is inevitable that at some point while they're working on my hair, they will say to me, wow, did you know that you have two cowlicks on your head? As if I didn't know what existed on my head. And every time I'm like, yes, I know I have two cowlicks. I know I have places on my head where my hair stands up. It's actually why I flip the front of my hair to try and cover up the cowlick. And if you would know my father, you would know that my father has multiple cowlicks. Maybe let me put it to you like this. If I wanted to move away from my family, if I wanted to disown them, which I never would, but if I wanted to disown them, I never could. You know why? Because every time I would sit in that chair, I would be reminded I did not make myself I come from a family lineage of witchers, and that was before the last name was cool because of the Netflix show. I have a lineage. I come from a family tree. In some mysterious way in Jesus Christ, God took on flesh and literally took on the burdensome history that was happening. In his people. In some strange way, not only are we his, but he's also ours. Like he took on humanness for us. In Zane's way of saying it, he took on the cowlicks. Jesus was not like you in middle school who said, man, I do not want to be recognized with my family. No, Jesus came into the world and mercifully Owned his family. He lived their story. He took on their choices that they made. And it's often in this time of the year that if you are going to services where people are reflecting on the hope of God, this is one of the reasons that the genealogies, the early chapters in Matthew and in Luke, are read. It's where we remember that Jesus' family was messy. In reading of his family tree, we remember that it includes people that we would be proud of and people we weren't proud of. It would be unique because as you read through Jesus' story, there would be marriages people would be excited about and there would be marriages that no one would want to talk about. There would be people who would be listed in that family tree who their professions would not be seen highly. And there would also be people listed in that tree that if we just read the Bible honestly, they're pretty compromising. I mean, Abraham and his line, they're constantly doing compromising things to obtain the promise of God. In other words, when we read and think of the line of Jesus he was full of a family who was faithful and faithless, abusers and abused, devoted and defiant. And Jesus was merciful to his family, which means you can be
1: merciful to yours as well. There's an
0: invitation to you that it does not matter your background what you have done, what you have not done, what things you carry into your family history, what you don't carry, what things you're currently tied up in, no matter what generational brokenness your family has that you've inherited, your family or your past in Jesus Christ does not determine your future. Someone should say amen to that. Jesus receives you and He loves you. If He can do it with His own family, then He can do it in yours. No matter what family you are born into, you can be born again in Jesus Christ. This is why one of the language, the phrases that's used in Scripture for those who believe and trust in Jesus is that we are adopted into the family of God. When we place our faith in Jesus, we are born again into Jesus' family. We are given a new and a permanent trajectory with God, saved from the powers of generational sins, given a new name, receiving of inheritance, and also given brothers and sisters who walk with us. You know, I grew up in a really small church where any time I'd walk around, someone would be like, hello, Brother Zane. And I'd be like, you're not my brother. Like, don't say that about me. And that was like kind of an old school way of actually recognizing like we are family. Like it is the Chris Wigginton of like, I don't know if you like me or not, but I am your family. That the people beside you in Christ are your brothers and your sisters. And not only are we welcomed into the family of Jesus, but when we say yes to the family of Jesus, we're also called by the Holy Spirit to mature as witnesses of Jesus to our biological families. In the words of Isaiah, we actually root ourselves in Jesus and we grow from the help of the Spirit so we can navigate our future family tree wisely, so we can gain deeper understanding of ourselves, so we can receive the counsel of God through Scriptures, so that we can be fed and we can be led by a might that is not our own, and that we can have knowledge and greater intimacy of God than maybe anyone in our family previously. I think for some of us, maybe we view discipleship as we enter the family of God and then it consists of, you know, things like praying and reading the scriptures and serving other people and using our gifts and all those things are completely true. And one way we mature in the family of God is we do all those things to make ourselves available. For the Holy Spirit to transform our history, or maybe the things we picked up from our upbringing. It is the next step of discipleship to look around and say, Where do I come from? What have I picked up? Patterns, sins, mindsets from my upbringing. And how does Jesus? want me to transform those. You know, it's extremely noteworthy in the Bible. When we actually hear the word family, I think a lot of us think in a very American, Western kind of mindset. We hear family and we immediately think, oh, immediate family, whoever I consider that of. In the scriptures, particularly in the Old Testament, when family is referenced, it's not talking about immediate family. It's actually talking about family that's multiple generations like three generations four generations together because god sees them as interconnected whether we do in our mindset or not i think one really popular uh text that is a good example of this is exodus 36 um where the 10 commandments are literally being issued and as god speaks of them god literally speaks um uh he punishes the children of their children For the sin of their parents to the third and to the fourth generations. We do not like it because we like to think we are so independent of everyone around us. But when the Bible speaks of family, it speaks of family as interconnected. That we receive the blessings. And also maybe we receive the sins. Of those of who we were around as we were growing up. Or those who raised us, that there's some mystery of how we're raised and things that we pick up on. And they impact us. Like they honestly impact us in good ways and hard ways. I'll go first. All right. I remember as a child. Literally, saying, I, I came from a blue collar family, so we were always working on machines and engines. And you look at me now and you're like, yikes, but like, don't lose the point. Like, we were always working on things. And one of the things we would do, particularly the men in my family, when something didn't work, we had a logical response to it. We kicked it in anger. And I remember the first time I saw some of the men in my family kick a machine because it wasn't working, and I was like, (laughs) those fools. That's not going to help anything. And I remember as I kept growing up, I, I have some stories of kicking some things really hard. I don't know where it came from. I can even look at it and be like, that's not a reasonable response whatsoever. But I picked up on it. Jesus gives us mercy to mature us from the messy patterns of our family trees. In other words, God does not want you to be frozen in time of whatever happened in your family is just naturally also going to happen through you. Jesus died on the cross stepped up on a tree, not for you to be frozen in one particular way of life, but to actually free you from your past. Maybe one way that's helpful to think of this, Pete Scazzaro, who provides just these phenomenal discipleship frameworks, he talks about how there are patterns of the past that play out in our present. Many of them are deep, and they do not just disappear just because we are plunged into the waters of baptism. And he talks about how in life, there are kind of some areas that if we do some close looking, we need to be honest with ourselves of just evaluating what have we picked up from our upbringing. Let me move to this slide. There is kind of nine examples of like, these are just things that we picked up on, how our family handled money. How we handle conflict, or how we didn't handle conflict. How we talked about sex, or how we didn't talk about sex. How we handle grief, friendships, anger, right here. Success. How we view family. How we approach people of different cultures. The journey of discipleship is looking closer into these things and asking Jesus, how do you want to mature me in this? Because we, like Israel, when they leave Egypt, they can leave a physical location quickly. But it takes several generations for the psychological and mental mentality to leave the people. You can get them out of Egypt, but Egypt does not move out of their hearts quickly. To identify, to pray, to seek counsel, to name tendencies... I know it's hard work sometimes, and sometimes it honestly kind of feels like we're betraying our family. Like I think sometimes our family's like, whoa, 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 don't be bringing those things up. We, we, We put those things under the rug. Why are you talking about it? We do this to be faithful to the family of God and to be witnesses to our family of how Jesus is changing us. And when we do this work, we do not bring it up to hurt people, or to cut people in our family, you know, my uh, parents occasionally they will stop by and they will hear my sermons. And uh, when people ask them what they're doing here, they'll say uh, they say this line. They say, uh, "Well, we just wanted to show up and hear how we were great parents or terrible parents this week." <laughs> That's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about talking about patterns and stories to cut our family tree or to embarrass people in our family tree. We're doing it as a way of witnessing how the Holy Spirit wants to grow us, to give us counsel and wisdom and reflect Jesus. You know, Maybe uh, it's a transformation that maybe kind of looks like um, the transformation uh, our uh, family has had with our Christmas tree. And I'll kind of end with this image. When uh, I first got married, We bought this, like, tiny, puny Christmas tree. And uh, I kind of had a philosophy of how to decorate this tree. Uh, I wanted the tree to be uniform. Like, I wanted it to have all these tidy and pretty kind of bulbs that were, or ornaments that were on it. And it looked good. It was a good-looking tree in our first year of marriage. And then, like, things started happening to us, like life, where, like, people would give us ornaments, which don't give me an ornament. I don't want it. But like my wife would, she would start to collect ornaments that like represented different seasons of life, or like different things that were like meaningful to her, or like things that um, we grieved together, and we wanted a memory of it. And the problem was, each year she wanted to put those ugly ornaments on my beautiful Christmas tree, and I couldn't stand it. I tried deeply to convince her that it would just make the tree look all messy. So my solution was, let's put all the ugly ornament behind the tree. That way they're still on the tree, but people see the beautiful front side of the tree. And as many of these stories go with my wife, we did not do what I wanted to do because she was right to not decorate the tree that way. Because trees that look all tidy and pretty, they may look nice, but let's be honest. They're hollow. There's no lived story when you've got a cookie cutter tree. It's not the story of a life lived. When you look at our Christmas tree now, as much as it hurts me, it is a tree of a story in a life that is lived. The same can be true with our family trees. In the blood and body of Jesus, you do not need to be embarrassed or hide your family tree. You not need to, you can be merciful. You can testify to the work of Jesus. To his mercy and also his maturing that he wants to give us. A lived life with Jesus is honest and tells the stories of the bumps, the changes, the growth, and the lessons learned along the way. So as I close, I wrote just a special closing here. If you have zoomed out on the sermon, which some of you I'm questioning, have you zoomed out on me? Come back. Here's what I'm saying. For those of us who are likely going to spend time at home with people who we either raised or they raised us, this is what I'm saying. God has given you a particular family place and moment in history. Steward it well these next couple days. If your kids are coming home for Christmas, as much as you want to tell them how you want them to grow, share with them how you are growing in Jesus Christ right now. If you are going back home to the ones who raised you, Do not be critical of them. Care for them. Because Jesus Christ cares for you. In moments of family frustration this week, ask the Holy Spirit to bear fruit in you. In moments when your family is inconsiderate or maybe messy, consider how Jesus is merciful to you and then give them that mercy as well. And for some of us in the room,
1: Holden this gently. For some of us who grieve, and we long for the people who are now an empty chair, in your grief,
0: in your longing, I hope you remember that that is a fraction of how much Jesus Christ longs for you.
1: And in the most
0: perfect Christmas moments, and if you have some of them, and I pray that you do, in those perfect Christmas moments, I hope you remember that that moment where you sit with people and you're like, "Mm -hmm, this is good, that's just a taste of what it's like to live under the tree of life when heaven and earth meet together. Praise the Lord if you experienced that
1: this Christmas. So Lord, uh, we lift to you something that is oh so tender and hard for some of us.
0: So Lord, we pray by your Spirit, can you rest on us this week? Can you help bring your counsel and your might as we navigate our messy histories. Spirit, can you bring life into us and love into us to be able to give life to those who are around us and also love on those who cared for us? And Lord, can you give us your wisdom and your knowledge and reverence for you as we also navigate really hard family situations?